Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 22nd of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The governance review into allegations of sexual assault at a HSE-run nursing home that was published today. It outlines harrowing failures to protect vulnerable people and it's a very distressing story for all of us. It reflects again that there is much work to be done to protect and safeguard vulnerable people. Taoiseach, in 2020, a healthcare assistant who worked at this home was jailed for 11 years for rape. The victim, known through the pseudonym of Emily, was a resident at the home. And the review into the handling of the case has uncovered that other residents had made allegations against this same healthcare assistant in the past. However, their serious allegations were not followed up with a safeguarding report and some indeed were dismissed as residents being confused or hallucinating. None were followed up and as should have been the case in line with HSE safeguarding policy. Sinn Féin President Mary Lou MacDonald raising the most shocking of stories in the Dáil yesterday and how a healthcare worker raped a woman now known as Emily as well as allegedly sexually assaulting a number of other residents in a nursing home. How did this happen and what of the HSE safeguarding policy? The HSE's adult safeguarding policy includes a zero tolerance approach that requires staff to report all abuse concerns criminal or otherwise. Nursing homes are required today to have in place policies and procedures to ensure that residents are protected from abuse. They're required to provide training for staff to ensure they can recognize, respond and report any suspected abuse uh, allegations. Um, If immediate risks to safety of residents are identified, uh, they're expected to take action and prevent a recurrence, and that can also include where required referral to Ngarda Shiakana. And they're also required to notify the Chief, Ex- Chief Inspector of HICWA of any suspected or alleged actual abuse within three days. And it's clear that didn't happen uh, in, in these cases. Uh, we have to ask ourselves why. Mm, what a question. Why indeed? That's Taoiseach Leo Vratker responding to Sinn Féin's Mary Lou MacDonald. Neve Griffin, health correspondent with uh, the Irish Examiner, is on the line. And a very good morning to you, Neve, and thanks for joining us. It, it is impossible for most of us uh, to understand how this happened or why it happened or why the allegations were not reported as they should have been, as we heard the Taoiseach say a, a moment ago. I, I think any decent thinking person uh, is bewildered that this could happen in a nursing home, aren't they? Good morning. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's it's horrific and unfortunately it's not the first example and it's not a unique example of something like this happening. 
And I suppose it's it's maybe an example of that old um, saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast. You can have all the theories and all the reports and all the, you know, the plans. But unless everyone in the system is on board with that and, and is aware that it's a, you know, a possibility, I suppose then you have these risks. And um, there was a very interesting interview, I thought, yesterday, um, Vivian Gearan from the National Association of Social Workers. And he was saying that uh, it's ageism, that people, even people working in the system can't imagine that sexual abuse could be happening for people of this age. So they, they, they don't see it in a strange way, you know, that they don't, mm. they don't act on it. And he was calling really for a big cultural change and a big awareness of, of the risk. Because, you know, of course, it's a small, a tiny, tiny number of, of care workers who would be, you know, the, the sort of person who would do this horrific kind of action. Mm. And then it's up to the rest of us to, to see it, I suppose, yeah. and, and take action. Yeah, uh, I'll have to uh, allow that thought to settle and mull over it for a while. Um I don't understand how anybody could sexually abuse or rape somebody in a nursing home or why they would want to do it. Uh, And perhaps then, uh, from what you're saying, I'm being ageist. Um, I'm not sure that I do understand that. Yeah, no, I think he was Mm. talking about the ageism as in recognising and and reporting the abuse. Mm. That you have this small number of people because we don't want to tire yeah. everybody mm. with it, that, yeah. that brush. But not and reporting it on the assumption that it's it couldn't happen. It's hard to believe that it could happen, yes, exactly. and it's not hard to believe that somebody in a nursing home is delusional. Yeah, that that that. Um, and in this case, the person, the woman known as Emily, mm. was quite clear about what happened. But even she had to struggle. We know from the the court case that was taken because her attacker, of course, was jailed. Um, but uh, they, you know, she really had to struggle to be believed. Mm. I'd wonder what sort of a, an end of life Emily, as she's now known, that's a, a pseudonym for her, not her real name, had uh, because. She was raped by this man in the nursing home in 2020 and uh, she died uh, in 2021. Uh, For how much longer uh, would she have been under his care, do you know? Uh, I'm not sure the 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 details of that case. I know Mm. that action once once she, you know, got her 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 um, her thoughts across and was believed that action was taken. Um, But I suppose the other thing is this isn't you know, it isn't the first case. He had the, mm. that awful case the, that we call the Brandon case. Mm. Um, and a report came out on that 18 months ago where a resident had been abusing other residents. And there, there was huge promises made at that stage that this would never happen again and that all the plans and everything would be implemented. But we now know that that's um, not the case, actually, mm. in, in every section of the of the health services. Okay, because this is a, a duplicate in the sense that there were multiple victims. It, it seems Emily uh, certainly isn't mm-hmm. the only person to have claimed that she was abused by this man. No, no. And I mean, we had just last week the National Safeguarding Office published their annual report where they would look at reports of all kinds of abuse, physical, financial, um, psychological, as well as uh, sexual. And a lot of... And you would have perpetrators in, the, in that report who would be family members. It's not always in institutions. But they did raise issues of, I think it was 83 cases of over 80s who were sexually abused. So, you know, it, it is happening and we need to really open our eyes, I think, um, mm. and take some action and 
you listed out there much of the legislation, but I think people like the social workers would like to see a bit more teeth given to those laws. Mm. In what sense? Uh, because um, this should have been reported long before this man got to Emily uh, because there were other people in the nursing home uh, who said that he had uh, abused them and that should have been reported as we heard the Taoiseach say there within three days of the allegation being made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that came out at the National Independent Review Panel that or she were reporting on yesterday that um, this other female residents had made allegations against this person in the past but they were not believed and their allegations were not followed up on. Mm. Uh, he's in jail at the moment, isn't he? This, yes, uh, he was jailed for 11 years. Okay. Um, uh, any, any thoughts on that sentence? I wonder if people listening to us have any thoughts on that sentence uh, because it, it really is a heinous crime, isn't it? Uh, to attack somebody as vulnerable as a nursing home resident. Well, it's, I suppose, as Mary Lou was saying, it is your nightmare, isn't it? You're in a nursing home and you're vulnerable. And you you assume that everybody in there has your best will, has your best interests at heart and is there to care for you. So in this case, that very much did not happen. Mm. Does it call into question any other aspects of care in nursing homes or how nursing home residents are treated or not believed if they claim something happened to them? Yeah, I mean, I suppose that goes back to what Vivian Gearing was saying about ageism that we do sort of talk over older people and they don't have to be in a nursing home for this to happen. Mm. And we think, oh, they're on a lot of medication or they're in the early stages of dementia. And, you know, they can be dismissed. And that's maybe a wider social issue for all of us to look at. Mm. Uh, Or perhaps uh, for the sector to look at at, uh, more specifically, um, uh, because um, the people we're talking about are in the care of the HSE in this instance, but many people in private nursing homes uh, as well. But you will hear stories from residents in nursing homes uh, that uh, are questionable. Uh, I mean, you'll hear people saying they wouldn't take me to the toilet. Mm, yeah, it doesn't have to be as serious as sexual abuse. Mm. It's that, And that goes back to the culture, isn't it, of seeing, not seeing residents in nursing home as equal to you thinking that because you're younger and you have a job that you're better than the people you're looking after Mm. and that's I mean that's you don't develop that sort of culture I think um, you know as an individual that's a social a society issue that we all have to to ask questions about Mm. and that was I suppose another thing that the social workers were saying that they don't have the legal right to go into private nursing homes Um, so you really need more people from the outside walking in and out who might see something. And so that's something they would like to see changed. Mm. And it's something that needs uh, to be balanced as well. It's hard to get a a balance, isn't it? Uh, Because um, they can be people who are, uh, have complicated problems and are difficult to care with. Uh, And uh, perhaps somebody didn't bring them to the toilet, but maybe they brought them to the toilet five minutes previous to that. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's a very different, Yeah, you know, that's a mm. very different issue, isn't it? And I mean, again, to, to say like the vast majority of nursing homes do care for people, but the fact that even one incident like this happens, it's too much really, isn't it? Mm. Well, absolutely. And I, I think that the care that is given to nursing home residents uh, really is uh, hard to uh, 
compare. Uh, but you could understand families being very concerned that something mm-hmm. like this uh, that was reported to uh, the nursing home didn't end up being reported uh, and followed up on uh, and uh, was ignored and allowed this man to continue uh, to assault women in the home sexually and uh, to ultimately rape uh, Emily. Mm-hmm. And there were plans at HSE at senior level to, to set up, um, to bring all of these different policies to get, and guidelines together into a national um, sexual safety policy for approved and designated centres. And that would maybe give some clarity to the reporting because there would be one pathway which might make things faster. But that has been under discussion for a number of years. Um, I think it may have been suggested, it was suggested before the pandemic, I think, um, and not yet put into place. Mm. Um, Will something be put in place to protect nursing home residents? Um, You would hope so, wouldn't you? I mean, the the HSE would have a a pattern, shall we say, of acting when things come to light. Like you'll remember the Oris Attractor scandal Mm. in um, disability centres a number of years ago. And a lot of things changed in those centres following that. Mm. So you would hope that Emily's case will make people sit up and realise that that things have to change. I just wonder how you do that. I mean, if there's a safeguarding policy that should have protected Emily and the other women in that nursing home, but Mm -hmm. it it failed, what do you do? Uh, Should there be a consequence uh, for people who don't adhere to the policy? Well, that's a good... You mean that if you don't report, there should be consequences. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something for the HSE, I suppose, to sit down and discuss with their staff. Mm. and um, look at how what maybe the training needs to be changed maybe people aren't getting the proper training and uh, maybe people feel afraid they, there's I mean uh, the, the, the risk of being a whistleblower it's not an easy thing to do you know there's probably a lot of different issues need to be looked at all right. Well, it's certainly a, a most upsetting story uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, and uh, I think everybody uh, truly shocked uh, by uh, what we've been learning uh, about Emily and uh, what she endured and how it had happened to other women in the nursing home uh, and wasn't followed up on as uh, the case uh, apparently was. Neve, thank you as always for joining us this morning. That's uh, Neve Griffin, health correspondent with uh, the Irish Examiner. Uh, text about that from Deirdre who says this just isn't right. Something needs to be done urgently to stop this type of abuse from ever happening again. I'm in total shock. How was this allowed to happen and what is the world coming to? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure that anybody can answer any of those questions, Deirdre, but our telephone number is 0419832000. You can text us or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. I'm pleased to say that a national consultative forum on international security policy, the first of its kind in the history of the state, is about to take place. Yes, the first of four meetings of uh, the Consultative Forum on International Security Policy gets underway today in Cork. There is much concern about what this means for Irish neutrality and why now the government is deciding to initiate this discussion. Across Europe, Russia's war on Ukraine and the changed geopolitical landscape has led to a significant reassessment of our security. 
Ireland, like others, must adapt to this new reality. It is my hope that this consultative forum would start a national dialogue on international security policy issues. Well, the dialogue certainly has started, or at least the President, Michael D. Higgins, started the conversation in expressing his grave concerns on Sunday, critical of the motivation of and the objective of these meetings, critical of the balance in the lineup of speakers and critical of the chairperson, a DBE dame of the British Empire. Hello, my name is Louise Richardson. I'm the independent chair of the Consultative Forum on International Security Policy. I was raised in Tremor and educated at the Ursuline in Waterford, Trinity, UCLA and Harvard. Louise Richardson is an Irish native and the chair of the Carnegie Corporation in New York. I was absolutely delighted when the Tornister invited me to chair the forum because of the critical importance of the issues at stake, but also because it's so unusual for a government to want to involve the entire country in a discussion of its role in the world. Unusual. Okay, so what is it uh, that we are apparently privileged to have a say in? We need to develop a better understanding of the wider geopolitical and threat environment in which we live and to understand what we could or should be doing to address the complex and challenging issues that we face. But why now? What's changed? The international security environment has radically changed in recent years. The optimism that greeted the end of the Cold War was shaken by the 9-11 attacks and their aftermath. And recently, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has caused countries across Europe and beyond to reevaluate their foreign and security policies in light of this new reality. Ireland, too, is going to have to decide how we respond to the new geopolitical situation. Mm, big decisions. So the first of these forums gets underway today in Cork. Tomorrow it's in Galway and on Saturday and on Sunday it will meet in Dublin Castle. My goal is to bring a wide range of voices together to consider Ireland's approach to our foreign security and defence policies and in so doing encourage a calm and well-informed national debate on the subject. So what do you think the government wants to know? And this is where you come in. We want to hear your views. I want you to feel informed and involved in the conversation. We need to build an approach to international security policy that fits the times that we are in now and for the future. We can only be successful in that if we have an open, honest and evidence-based discussion. A discussion that I want as many of you as possible to take part in. Please participate in this process and be part of this important conversation. This is a critically important national conversation and we want to hear from you. So what do you think of all of this? Are you one of the hawks uh, who thinks uh, we should have more tanks and guns and bombs and planes and fight our own battles? Irish boys fighting bravely on international battlefields or are you a dove like a yellow-bellied schoolboy who wants his big brother to defend him? and stand up to the bully. Do you wonder why you should fight your own battles when there's someone bigger and stronger than you who can do it for you and will defend you? Or are you somewhere in between? Let us know. 0419832000 if you'd wish to do that. That's 0419832000. 
2000 if you want to ring us today text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658 086 1800 658 if you want to text or WhatsApp us today and you can email michael at lmfm.ie 11 years for the rape of a woman in a nursing home nowhere near enough according to Susan in Drogheda who says there should never be the light of day for somebody who does that ever Again, that man should be locked away forever. Again, if you want to make comment on that, let us know. You may also want to make comment on GAA Go. A lot of people have been making comments on GAA Go to the Minister for Sports, the Senior Minister Catherine Martin, uh, Thomas Byrne of course, Minister of State, but a lot of emails are reported on in the Irish Independent and Irish Examiner today to the Minister from people who are not happy with the GAA getting €30 million Euro in government funding uh, saying they're absolutely disgusted with GAA Go Uh, and more games are not uh, available. Now these so-called treasures want to bleed more money from the people of Ireland. How has this happened? One person wrote to the the minister. Another labelled the GAA, the Greedy Athletic Association, and said the association's revenues each year are staggering. Another message said that these organisations now exclude large swathes of uh, the population who found uh, them will be a bittersweet pill for those fans and players who've dedicated their lives to sport. Uh, There was another person who wrote to the minister saying it was deeply unfair that people were expected to pay a licence fee and then pay RTE on the double for a subscription service. Another said they were fuming and that both the broadcaster and the GAA received very significant support from the taxpayer. Irish people have supported this national game down through the ages, someone else said, and it just seems very unfair to me that they can't see it played at the highest level. Somebody else said, I've always admired the way the GAA have supported inclusion and keep fit programmes for people, but this is just greed. Somebody else said their mother was in a nursing home and loved to watch matches, especially when her beloved Mayo were playing. Uh, Another email said we're in uh, the fortunate position that we could afford to pay for a streaming service. However, the Wi-Fi in the nursing home is inadequate uh, and would not be sufficient to satisfactorily stream a live match. It's most disappointing that a, a lifelong fan will no longer be able to enjoy one of the few pleasures that remain for her. Somebody else accused the GAA of buttering both sides of their bread with jam and cream on top, saying the minister needed to get tougher on the association and also on RTE. Somebody else said it beggar belief that on one particular Saturday, a Munster rugby game was available on both RTE and TG Carr, while a hurling match went untelevised. That person said it gave the impression that rugby is more important than our national sport of hurling, which needs to be sustained. Well, maybe it is, or maybe the bottom line is more important. Maybe uh, it's uh, just the world we live in. Let us know what you think about those comments or whether you agree with them or, or not. If you wish to make contact, as always, our text WhatsApp number is 086 1800 658. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, some comments uh, about nursing homes in particular coming to us. Uh, the problem with many private nursing homes is that if you raise a concern about the care of a family member, you're told to remove uh, that family member from the home. Thanks uh, for 
before that. Uh, I think it's worth pointing out uh, again that it was a, a public home, a HSE-run nursing home, where Emily, that pseudonym for that woman, uh, was raped uh, uh, three years ago in 2020. Um, a text uh, from somebody who uh, says uh, that my sister was in a nursing home, a private nursing home, and it had a lot to desire. I think uh, there should be more than one carer for so many residents. Thanks, John, for that. Uh, someone else uh, saying, I had to text. Uh, the reason is uh, that this goes on still because no one listens to older people. My own dad was in a nursing home out the road and myself and my husband heard a man saying to the staff nurse, and I quote, you leave me alone. I'm telling on you, go away, go away. I will never forget that. And we saw how many people were treated. Uh, my poor dad included badly. Uh, we should look after our elderly. We owe it to them. Uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, Mary, for that. Uh, another caller says uh, private nursing homes uh, that are run with inadequate staff quotas in relation to the number of residents is abuse of the residents and the existing staff. Money and power allows this to happen. Thanks uh, to the caller who wanted to, to stay anonymous. Again, this was a public HSE run nursing home uh, where this particular incident happened. I'm not saying that it can't happen in private nursing homes uh, but uh, it's just worth making the point. Alice says, why uh, does and the family, this is uh, the Mayo woman in a nursing home uh, who uh, loves uh, to watch the GAA that we heard about in uh, those complaints about GAA go. Why don't the family uh, bring uh, that woman out for a few hours to watch the match? says Alice. Thank you indeed, Alice. Uh, I don't know, but I imagine that they would if they could. Anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, another shocking story or a story that has shocked uh, an awful lot of people and that's the price of hotels uh, next June when Taylor Swift uh, will be in Ireland for two shows uh, that will take place in the Aviva Stadium. Uh, There's quotes of up to close to a thousand euro to stay one night in a hotel Uh, apparently uh, Ireland is now the most expensive uh, country in Europe 146% of uh, the EU average uh, prices are here Uh, no doubt these hotel prices uh, will see that uh, increase even further let's uh, speak to Imelda Munster Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Meath and a spokesperson on Tourism for Sinn Féin, a member of uh, the Tourism Committee. Good morning to you, Melda Munster. Are, are you surprised uh, in the no, slightest bit? <laughs> no, not in the least. Um, it disgusted, you know, that they haven't learned anything, but um, not surprised in the least. I mean, I flagged this up last year umpteen times, both at committee and with the minister, um, about the rip-off and the price gouging that was going on. And, I mean, it, it amounts to nothing but pure greed, um, I remember raising it with Falsha Ireland at the committee and um, in response, Falsha Ireland said that they wrote to every business um, in the sector stressing Ireland's long-term value for money, you know, to be cognizant of that when they're setting prices. And they also attended the Irish Hotels uh, Federation conference um, stressing the same thing, but it, it fell on deaf ears Um and, and we were told then that there's nothing really that can be done about it. Well, I've seen recently Minister Ryan said um, that it wasn't possible for government to intervene. Um, hotel prices can't be regulated. But the argument um, earlier on this year was about the, when they were seeking uh, the 
further extension of the reduction in the VAT rate to 9% from 13.5%. And this was flagged up by myself again, just, you know, the fact that 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 reduction in VAT, customers are not seeing it. It's not been passed on to to customers. Mm. But they got their way and they got the extension. So there's no real pressure on them from coming from government. Mm. I mean, there's other parts of Europe that have separated um, the the different sectors of the tourism sector, uh, you know, sectors that don't engage in price gouging and that. And hotels in some European countries don't get the reduction in VAT, but others do in the hospitality sector. Um, But the government didn't take that leap. But yeah. it, 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 it would have sent it, a message. Yeah, it well, would have sent a message. What, what, what kind of a position does this leave people in? Um, if you're going to see Taylor Swift in the Aviva and you stay for the full show, you don't leave before the encore or anything like that. Uh, if uh, you're trying to get home to Drogheda or Navan or Cork or Galway or Donegal, um, is there public transport at that hour of the night to get you home? Well, that's, that's the issue too, unless... There's specific buses put on to take people to and from the concert, which is often the case. Mm. But if you're relying on public transport, it'll be very haphazard, but depending on the time, you know, on the volume of people. Mm. But um, it's it's a long And then a long journey home after that. I mean, people, um, uh, you're talking about, uh, I'd say, predominantly young people going to a, a concert like that. Uh, and this is a lot of money to find whether it's 350 euro or a thousand euro to for a bed for the night because uh, you wouldn't even be in the room for very long uh, it, i mean it's the equivalent of five weeks stole isn't it it would be yeah it's well i mean it's it's probably the average person a fortnight's wages if not more you know mm. or um a thousand pound for a thousand euro for a hotel bed yeah months rent um, for a lot of people yeah yeah but um, it's the, the long-term reputational damage that it's, do, it's doing. We had information from Falja Ireland um, at the committee, and they were saying earlier in the year that the forward bookings from Britain were down on pre-COVID levels. Yeah. And that figures were also challenging from the rest of Europe. So, Well, you'd expect so a lot of people to come over from the UK and for Europe. I mean, this is an international pop sensation uh, and, mm. you know, has a huge fan base. So you'd imagine that people would travel. Uh, I mean, there's with, with artists like this, uh, you have uh, people who will have seen them uh, at every venue in every country. Yes. Or, yeah, or, yeah, they just follow them that. around. Yeah, yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, but I think the point that... Uh, Falch Ireland were, were making with the bookings being down and also across the rest of Europe is that the, the reputational damage is out there that, mm. you know, Lonely Planet had actually posted a critical r- review of the soaring costs in Ireland and hotel prices was specifically mentioned. So it's the news is out there that you're going to be ripped off and the cost of accommodation in Ireland. And, you know, the saddest thing is you have family-run hotels in rural parts of Ireland that are being affected by this rip-off and price gouging as well. You know, mm. once, that repu- once that reputational damage is done, it's very, very hard. Yeah, I do wonder about that as well. The hotels, the family hotels, not uh, in Dublin, say... Um, well, offering value for money. We're offering no. value for money. Uh, that's nothing to do with us. Uh, but they haven't had that opportunity. This is an opportunity that's not being missed by the hotels in Dublin if mm. uh, the families outside or the hotels outside of Dublin, I beg your pardon, had the same opportunity, would they not also take up on it? Well, I was speaking to a couple of 
smaller um, family run hotel owners and they were giving out yards about the the cost of hotels in cities and the damage that it was doing to their business that people and again those those stats show that people are already wary of coming to Ireland because of the cost of accommodation so you know a lot of people that would come to Ireland don't necessarily they might stay in the city for a day or two but they would tend to go to you know scenic parts in rural Ireland etc but if that damage that reputational damage is out there then they're just going to say look at I mean you've seen examples wasn't it last year that I forget who the concert was but it was actually cheaper to go to, to buy tickets to fly to Paris and your ticket for your concert and your accommodation than it was to book a night's accommodation in mm. Dublin and your concert ticket. And it could very well be the oh, same with Taylor Swift. Yeah. yeah, it'll uh, I see in uh, one of uh, the papers uh, this morning, uh, Minister Pascal Donoghue is calling on the hotels to do the right thing and not charge these exorbitant prices. Can he do more than that, other than ask them politely not to do well, it? Well, I mean, they had the opportunity with the VAT rate. They could have made an issue out of it and said, look, it, we're going to give to others in the hospitality sector the reduction. Um, but until you show us that price gouging, or the prices come down in hotels, that there's absolutely no excuse for these extortionate charges. And we feel you don't need the reduction in the VAT rate because if you're claiming anything for, you know, the average night stay lot, mm. uh, Patrick's Day weekend this year, there was um, a bunk bed in a shared dormitory uh, put up for I think it was eleven hundred euro. So you know, and last year the, in hotels in the capital, some were charging as much as two thousand four hundred a night. So I mean, ludicrous. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and the VAT rate is that they're on a reduced rate now of nine yeah. percent instead of thirteen uh, percent. But five, yeah, yeah, yeah it, they're not it, passing it on to customers. Yeah, but and but if, if charging that amount, they don't need the reduction. But if the minister was to restore that thirteen and a half percent rate um, to hotels, would that not impact on the family hotels outside of Dublin? Well, it it would do to to an extent. It's the it's the bigger hotels that are, are the, the the greediest of all, you know. And it's nothing but pure greed. And they're engaging in that rip off. It would affect them, but is it going to you know the reputational damage? They're saying already they're seeing ripple effects of it. You know that bookings are down. So in order to kind of counteract that, but to teach the bigger hotels a lesson to single them out because other European countries have separated hotels out of the, the any VAT reduction. So it would be one way of, because bear in mind, when they were looking, the Irish Hotels Federation were to the fore in lobbying the government for the, the extension of the VAT reduction, reduction, lobbying them hard to keep it. Mm. Now the government could have said, you know, n- this time round, we're not going to give it to you if we reduce it further at another stage but in the meantime if you prove to us that you can bring prices down i mean the hotel federation were saying oh it's it's down to our members it's mm. individual members but there's and it's not up to them but they're to the fore when it comes for lobbying for their members mm. you know and there's yeah. they're, they're you know they're not behind the door and arguing for the vat reduction but mm. yet when it comes to price gouging and rip off prices they're saying 
you know, there's not a whole lot they can do. Okay, all right. Well, or, if there's nothing that can be done, people will have to come yeah. up with a, a thousand euro, I suppose, to pay for a hotel. Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, it just seems like a, a sinful amount of money to pay for a bed Crazy, for a yeah. night. Yeah. yeah, it's total rip off and well, it's a disgrace and it's still ongoing. Yeah. yeah. All right, we leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, right, for joining you. us this morning. That's uh, Imelda Munster, Sinn Fein's spokesperson on tourism and a TD for Loud and East Meath. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, Let's uh, get some of uh, the comments that have been coming to us to you. Betty Daly in touch with us uh, about the price of hotels. She says there's nothing welcoming about our board fault. They should change their name to board fleecing, uh, says Betty Daly. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, Betty, we've uh, somebody else in touch uh, about how Emily was raped by a carer in a nursing home uh, saying, I listen to this horrific news of the vulnerable elderly lady being sexually abused and raped in a nursing home. Has this rapist been named as well as jailed? Uh, well, he's uh, been sentenced to 11 years in jail. Uh, he's identified in uh, the report as Mr X. Uh, some newspapers are reporting his name uh, this morning uh, because uh, obviously he was in front of a court because of uh, the dreadful crime that he committed. Um, we'd uh, Pat McDade in Drogheda of the Drogheda Labour Party in touch saying, no doubt Pierce Doherty would propose before nightfall a Sinn Féin swift compensation payment to help hard-pressed Taylor fans cope. <laughs> I can see that Pat's tongue is firmly in his cheek this morning. He says, Sinn Féin has spotted another bandwagon that they just can't resist jumping on. Bless them, says Pat. Oh, I don't know, Pat. Um, I think a lot of people, I think Pascal Donoghue uh, is uh, very concerned of the idea of people being charged a thousand euro for a hotel bed for a, a night. Uh, he's called on the hotels uh, to do the right thing and stick with normal prices. Paddy Duffy uh, says uh, the government could bring in an emergency VAT rate of 35% for hotels. That can't be seen as price gouging. All the others remain at 9%. I think Paddy is saying if they're deemed to be price gouging, uh, that the VAT rate on those hotels would be 35%. The others would remain at 9%. Uh, Paddy says that the government could do this but Fine Gael won't because it's against their ideology I'm not sure that they could uh, single out hotels like that Paddy, um, perhaps you're right uh, I just, uh, I'm not sure that that uh, is plausible uh, we had uh, somebody in touch with us then uh, saying people who do that to people in nursing homes this is uh, to do with uh, this elderly woman Emily, who was raped by a carer, saying, um, especially when you're supposed to be a trusted person, like a carer, they should be sent to prison. They should get a sentence of at least 20 years. I'm not sure if anybody uh, would disagree with that. Maybe they would. I, I don't know. Um, it really is hard to believe how somebody would do that. Maybe, maybe the Central Mental Hospital uh, would be a more appropriate place uh, for somebody uh, who did something like that. Uh, on GAA Go, uh, a texter, WhatsApper says, been going to Meath matches for 40 years, but not anymore. GAA Go and prepay tickets. It's a joke taking GAA away from the people who make it 
was uh, what it is. Uh, they can stick their J.A. where the sun don't shine or words to that uh, effect, uh, which I can't read on the radio um, from uh, that particular listener. But thank you indeed for your strong thoughts and indeed for sharing them with us. Uh, we Somebody else in touch with us uh, who said Bruce Springsteen's concert was cheaper to go to in Paris. That is, of course, including uh, the flights, the hotel and the concert ticket than going to the concert in Dublin. I think hotels outside of uh, the capital should get together with packages that would include bus transfers to concerts. Hmm. There is an interesting idea. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us so far today. If uh, you would like to comment on the programme, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Let me tell you how. You can phone us on 041-983-2000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Not many comments. I don't think we've had any comments today about uh, defence, security or neutrality. Uh, But we're all being asked to think about it. We're all being asked to talk about it. And we're all being asked to express our views. And there's a lot of views in relation to this. The government says it's time that we did speak about it, that the world has changed, that security considerations have changed. And we need to review the security that's in place. Uh, We heard the grave concerns of the President Michael D. Higgins in relation to that, who says uh, the government is playing with fire and that we're drifting towards NATO. The government says, no, we've no plans to join NATO, nor have we any plans to give up our neutrality. Uh, But to give you a a flavour of the debate, let's hear some of the contributions that have been made in the Dáil in recent times. Wide range of speakers, yes. Wide range of viewpoints, I don't think so. I have the speaker's list here, Tanishta. So let's go through it. Andrew Cotty, NATO Research Fellow. Chris Johnson, Fellowship in the U.S. Air Force. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Katrina Heinel has advised NATO. We'll turn the page. Christian Booger has worked for the US State Department, 
has trained the Singapore Navy, a dictatorship, by the way, last time I looked. Uh, John O'Brennan has raised joining NATO. James, James Mackey, Director of Security Policy and Partnerships, NATO, worked for 20 years, has, has worked for 20 years in NATO. Commander Roberto O'Brien, uh, Irish Naval Service, currently on secondment to NATO Defence Capacity Building a Unit. And we'll give the last word to Dan O'Brien, the economist, who has said, I think we would be right to join NATO. Now, they say that birds of a feather flock together. Uh, if that's the case, it would seem to me there's a lot of hawks flying into Cork, Galway and Dublin over the next uh, couple of weeks. Tarnished how can you say that this is anything other than a pro-NATO jamboree? I think that's a disgraceful presentation. Uh, you mentioned Andrew Cotty. He's a Jean Monnet chair, chair in UCC. You shouldn't name people and try to undermine them in the way you've just done in the House. I think that's shocking intolerance of the whole idea of debate. Why, why are you so opposed to people with different perspectives coming together in a framework to have discussions? We all, we, in, in this House, sorry, in this House, there are different perspectives on all sorts of issues. It seems as if, as if you were saying that because you have a particular position, you shouldn't even be in the House. Suspicions. If, if, if there's Deputy Barry up to me, he has a particular view on, on a range of issues. They might differ from yours, Deputy Barry, but your view seems to be one of complete intolerance of his right to speak. Sorry for drag, dragging Deputy Barry into it, but it's my point. You didn't mention Roger Cole or others with perhaps different perspectives who were also speaking um, at, at this um, seminar. Uh, and people who might have different perspectives uh, generally. And just look, you have the names. They're all there. Thank you. Right? Quite a lot. You've picked five or six. And you've kind of, I think you've been unfair to those individuals Thank as well. But your intolerance of debate and your attempt to try and undermine people by attacking people as opposed to the, I think it's reprehensible. I have no time for it. I think it's outrageous. Carry on. You mentioned Roger Cole. Roger is with the Peace and Neutrality Alliance. There also is uh, one NGO chosen to speak. I would challenge you from that entire long list that you have on the pages in front of you to name one, two or three other people who are going to be putting an alternative point of view in a broad sense. Uh, no, no, please, alternative please, to the agenda that you are promoting of militarization, of increased military cooperation and of edging this society towards closer cooperation with NATO. The list of names you spoke there, right, that is more groupthink than it is a debate in our society or a real uh, forum. Like we are in a world, we, Ireland is about free media, free speech, free rights to ideas and opinions. You seem to want to sort of uh, extinguish certain ideas before they even get a chance to get a platform. You don't even want to give platforms to people who might have an alternative view to yours. I think that's extraordinary. It's lacking in democracy. Right, lacking in democracy. That's the charge both sides are making. Uh, we were listening to the people before Prophet TD, Mick Barry, uh, who was debating there with uh, the tarnished uh, Michal Martin ahead of uh, these forums. Uh, they've been controversial, more controversy this morning with anti-NATO protesters interrupting Michal Martin's speech. Some people have very strong views on this, regardless of 
what your views are. The government wants to hear them. That's what the government says. Uh, and it wants you to participate in this discussion. You're welcome to share your views with us now, if you so wish. 0419832000. 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. That's 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. We've been hearing a lot of concern uh, this morning uh, about how people are cared for in nursing homes. Yesterday, the doll heard a lot of concern uh, about uh, the care that people are receiving at home. That's if they are receiving care at home. Uh, And indeed, how some 6,432 people are on a waiting list for home support care. That's up to the end of March. Uh, this was a motion uh, that was put to the doll by the Rural Independent Group, Peter Fitzpatrick, Independent TD for Louth and East Mead, as part of that group, and he joins us now. Uh, a very good morning to you, Peter Fitzpatrick. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme today. A very lengthy motion calling on the government to take many different steps to provide care at home for people in need of it. But a a lot of your motion uh, hinged on the terms and conditions of employment for people who provide the care. Because one of the problems there is, it seems, is that there aren't the people to provide home care, which is why there are so many people on waiting lists. Well, first of all, Michael, thanks for having me on your programme. It's a very serious topic to be talking about. Like, uh, like the, the biggest problem we have at the moment, Michael, is uh, Ireland is a, is a, it's got a very Asian population. And as I said in the office there yesterday, like if you look between 2011 and 2016, the age of 65 and over has increased by over 15%. The life expectancy has increased dramatically over the last number of years. And the, my biggest concern I'm going to discover too that at present more than 25% of people up to the age of 65 and over are living on their own. Uh, this, this, the CHO8 uh, stated there that they find it very, very difficult to get staff to work in in my, in my own country of Loud. So, and but we we decided yesterday to to talk about the situation. The situation is it's very hard to get staff. It's very hard to get people to work. Only for the volunteers in this country, we've been in a very, very, very serious situation. Like we all know that more than three hundred thousand people uh, are looking after uh, elderly people over the last two centuries. And these people are doing it, doing it voluntary. And uh, you, you can imagine if these 300,000 people stop looking after their loved ones, it'd be a serious, serious situation. Uh, it's the second most popular item in my constituency office. Nearly every second or person comes in, their, their loved ones are in hospital, their loved ones want to come home, their loved ones don't want to go to nursing homes because they feel as though if they go to nursing home, it's the end of the road for them. And the families want to take them home, but they just don't have the time and facilities. Mm. Like the, the situation at the moment, especially with the cost of living, families just can't afford. You know, especially a family with three or four people in the house, mm. like whether their mother or father is in a hospital. Like the situation at the moment, the, the amount of people who's waiting in hospitals to be discharged, and and Michael, I think they're right because they know themselves is if they leave the hospital and go home to to an empty house as such, no one ever give them a hand. The next place for them is the graveyard. They, 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 want, they just want to be looked after. Mm. These are the people who looked after this country. These are the people who pay their taxes and everything else. And, and in fairness, they're being neglected. Yeah. And, and, and like Minister Rabbit yesterday and Minister Butler told us yesterday that money wasn't upon him. 
So the, the problem is is staff shortages. And they, as you know, that this country has nearly a full... OK, a full but, but why are there... Why are there... Sorry for coming across you. Why are there staff shortages? I, I thought one of the reasons why it's so difficult to, peop- to get people to work in home care... Uh, is uh, because of uh, the terms and conditions of, of employment. You won't get rich quick working in home care. I still maintain that the people in the UK, I, 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 I maintain the justification. The, these people are looking after the, the elderly people and they need full-time treatment. Like, the situation is, at the moment is these people are looking for more of a commitment than the HSE. Like, uh, for example, there at the moment, is if they're looking after an elderly lady and the elderly lady was in the hospital two or three weeks so mm. the money they, they don't get paid and they're looking for paid now if they're, if they're travelling to and from work and everything else they're not getting paid mm. and, uh, I, 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 and I, they I, often I, are I mean if, if you were to try and make a living out of home care you would have to travel quite a, a lot because I don't think anybody gets more than three hours a day do they uh, or 15 hours a, a week uh, as the case may be uh, so if you're caring for somebody for three hours a day, that's not a full day's work. So you've got to go to a second person. So to get to the second person, you've got to travel. You'd be very lucky if it was next door or on the same street. But most times people are going to have to get in a car and travel and they can't claim any mileage or expenses. No, as I said to you, Michael, and I mentioned it all, the CHOA has said it's nearly impossible to get people to come up the North Loud. But as I said, yeah, this country is in front of prime at the moment. But there is a lot of people who are receiving benefits that we that probably we willing to give a hand to help to, to, to alleviate the problem, but the situation is there if they come in and it, all of a sudden they lose their benefits. Now I think we have an emergency there at the moment. I think the government should have a very very serious look at this here at the moment, is and maybe have a look of, of maybe not losing the benefits because uh, we we have a lot a lot of people. I said they're, they're holding up beds. Mm. We have a lot of people there that that that, that uh, they want they want to go home and. We're all going to get old at some stage. And the, the, the situation was, if we can't look after our older population now, we, we failed. And uh, as I said, uh, uh, the, the, CH, the, the, the chief executive uh, of the uh, Home and Community Care Ireland, uh, Joseph Mulgrave, he said that he's trying to negotiate a deal with the HSE and it's nearly impossible. And uh, I think the HSE has agreed to pay uh, 31 euros per, per hour but the the one they, they failed to to talk about the the, the travelling costs and about the petrol that there. Michael, I said you, uh, this is a very very unattractive job for anybody. As you said, you, you're not going to make a living of it. Mm. I guarantee, if you go to a bank and you look for a loan to buy a house, and you say you're a carer, you'd be torn down straight away because there's no guarantees that you're able to pay the loan back and everything else. So we're going to have to look after these people. We we have an opportunity. Uh, Minister Rabbit and Minister Butler there, yes, have said that they weren't going to oppose our uh, our decisions. But the, the, my, my biggest disappointment there, uh, there was an advisory group put together there last year uh, from, from across parties, and they come up with 16 solutions. And in uh, just in over 12 months, only one of these uh, uh, solutions has been taken up by the government. So I just hope it's not just, just listening and getting passes and accepting the motion. Uh, I, I think it's very, very important that all our politicians in in, in, in Leicester House and all over the country stand up for the rights of these people. We we are we, we are the system is presently letting these people down. Mm. And I feel like, like look for example there last month we had eighty four people on a national delayed transfer. And that that's that's people who want to be discharged and these are people who want to go home to their own homes, but they can't get any home help. Now, like if it's an emergency the government's gonna to have to have a look of other yeah. ways. Like, you know, maybe do away with the means test. Like, like tomorrow morning, if these 300,000 people, these volunteers, decided that they had enough and they can't do any more, 
and they, they can't even get respite for two or three weeks of the year. This is a, this is a 365 day. Mm. Uh, and but if you did away with the means test, you'd only compound the problem, would you not? Uh, because there just isn't the people to provide the level of care that's needed at the moment. I think there's about a, a thousand people in hospitals that shouldn't be in hospital. There's no reason for them to be hosp- in hospital, except that there's nowhere for them to go because if they go home, there is no home help. Uh, there's people. Uh, who had been at home receiving home help, uh, but uh, one of the carers maybe got a job with the HSE uh, and suddenly there's no home help, there's no option, but that person's gone to a nursing home. Michael, as I said, the HSE are putting all the good healthcare workers and it means that all the private nursing homes or all the private care and companies that they can't get staff. But I said it's the only people that, that the only way I, I personally think and the way that the regional group think is that we maybe have to have a look of maybe either doing away with the means test, increasing the means, means test, having a look at the benefits of people on social welfare. But it, this is an emergency at the moment. Well, as I said in the beginning of your programme there at the moment is there's an increase in the age of 65 years of age. So people, people want to go home and these people have to be trained and looked after in yet. So I'm just going to say... Uh, let's let's let, let's let's try something. It, it's better doing something than doing nothing. These people want to get home. People, and I would be honest, yeah. Well, these people who want to be stuck in a bed in a hospital for 24 hours a day, whatever it's and mm. holding up an acute bed there that maybe someone else who could be really really sick needs that bed. These people do relate, but but in fairness, Michael, when 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 the family can make a decision to the office. And they're telling me that they can't get a home care package, and the one the parents are going to stay in the hospital until they get, get a package. This is the last resort there at the moment is. So, and they know if their mother or father or some family, and I know myself, Michael is that people will get better living at home, living in familiar uh, areas, uh, being, being looked after by your loved ones and everything else. So, I think the government's going to have to stand up and find solutions. Mm. As you said here, the, the, the advisory group there last year gave sixty recommendations, yeah. and to me. Like, like, to me, that seems an absolute disgrace that all the done was taking one of the of the of the, of the uh, recommendations. So mm-hmm. the government's not listening. So I think we, us as politicians in in the door, we have to start making noise. Let's start looking after the people who look after us, our mothers, our fathers, our grannies, our granddads. Mm-hmm. These are people who deserve to be looked after. And us as the government and us as politicians, I feel as though we're letting them down. Well, it would seem uh, there's little argument with that they are being let down, and. It seems to be a really big problem, but one that is rarely spoken about, probably because it's a a problem that is very personal to the people experiencing it and they don't want to bring publicity on themselves or their mum and dad or their grandparents, but they're at their wits' end. They're crying out for help, but those calls quite often go unheard, it seems. Well, as I said, yeah, a lot of carers feel as though there's no pathway. They feel as though that if they become carers, where, where did the progress, where does it go forward? Like, if you look there, especially in the rural areas, like, you know, maybe there should be maybe a lot more work there for the likes of the, the nurses and maybe uh, social care workers out there. But I just think if, if all the minds are put together, I think, Michael, we can get a solution. We, we can find different areas. Like, we, we've asked there, for example, there to, uh, to increase the use of technology, the amount of technology out there, give a bit more maybe extra money to the host of pension that maybe they can contribute a wee bit more themselves. And there's a thing there we always said that support uh, for uh, for the non-profit of home and, uh, home initiatives. It means like maybe for two elderly people together, maybe maybe moving to someone's house. There's, there's, there's different types of initiatives you, you can do it there to get people home. 
I, I'm talking to students all the time, Michael, like students in the office. They want their parents home. And then the, the parents want home because the said is the last thing they want to do is go into a nursing home because they feel as though if they go into a nursing home, it's, it's the end of life. Some of these people are in their early 60s and early 70s mm. and still have, a, still have a good quality of life ahead of them. But if we just get them and maybe put them in a nursing home and everything else, to me, as a society, we're failing. Let's try to put a package together. Let's try to look after these people at the moment. And let's make, uh, let's make a care job more attractive. Like, like people don't realise it. The amount of work to do, it, it, to me, it's, it's crucial work. And maybe, maybe we don't say thanks enough to these people who care for them and everything else. Because I do believe, Michael, people are not in for the money. Me, no, but they can't afford to do it. They have to be realistic. I, I mean, like that example of spending three hours caring for one person and then having to go to a, a second person to care for them, uh, the travel distance could be so great uh, that the mileage would be uh, the equivalent of what you've been paid to care for the first person. But my, I keep telling you, Mike, as far as I'm concerned, is there's a lot of people... That if, if you do have a look at the mean states, do have a look at, at people that doesn't that's in social welfare or getting benefits in the state at the moment, especially in North Lloyd, because the CHO is that every time you contact them, they say, listen, the money's there, but we cannot get the staff. And you ask the question, what are you doing to get the staff? You have to go looking for it. Mm. Like, if you do look there, uh, I've seen there uh, a few weeks ago there, the Australian police come over to Ireland looking for policemen to go over to work in Australia. You know, like, 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 but that's, that, that's where things have gone at the moment. Mm. But I'm just trying to say, we have solutions. And, and, and as I said to you, what's the point in giving recommendations to the government if they're not going to listen? Yeah. They set up their own cross-party advisory group and they're not listening. Mm. We had a motion there yesterday and the government told in and said, listen, we accept your motion and everything else. But the thing is, if we, what do we do? We just let it go away and say, oh, there's the regional group, a fair set in, yeah. the elderly people. It's, it, it can't stop there. Okay. Like, we, we have an opportunity now over the next couple of months to try to get the situation. This is going to get worse. As I said to you, Ireland is getting an aging population. People are living longer. Isn't it fantastic that people are living longer? Mm. But people do need a quality of life. And people want to stay at home. I mean, there's no doubt uh, if it's possible. Uh, and of course, uh, if you're going to stay at home, you need uh, to have your three meals a, a day. Um, I was very curious uh, that the motion you tabled yesterday called for the delivery of Meals and Wheels on a national basis. Is me- Meals and Wheels not available everywhere? Well, Michael, there's a lot of people that's not getting it, Michael. Uh, I have people come in my constituency offices and they'll be honest, and they're looking for better health because they get their 240 euros a week on the, for, their, for their pension, especially, as I said, uh, there's an increase of people living on their own over the age of uh, 65 one in every four. Like, to be honest, like, people don't understand um, mm. what's available. And what, but, but, but the thing is, is, if people knew where to go to look for these meals and wheels, to me, there's only, the, 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 only a certain amount of people that are getting meals and wheels. But there's an awful lot of people out there, as I said, you don't know anything about them and they are looking ahead. So if you did make, if you did make it to be known that nationally that you go to the Dundalk, draw the Aldi, rural Ireland, that these means and means are available, there's a contact number and everything. People don't understand. Like there, is, there is certain organisations doing means and means, but there's an awful lot of people not receiving the means and means. So we're trying to say that, 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 that if it went nationally and people realised that, that these means and means were available, it would definitely help alleviate the, the, the poverty that the over 65 are having in this, in this country. All right. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's Independent TD for Louth and Meath.
East, uh, or East Mead, as uh, the constituency is called. Uh, that's Peter Fitzpatrick. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Thanks to Pat and Navin texting us uh, this morning saying, Michael, both RTE and the GAA are money hungry. RTE is a disaster. They should not be subsidised by the people because of the amount of money they squander. And for what? Most of their content is repeats, overpaid and underworked repeats. As for the GAA, Pat says we won't go down that road. Pure greed. Thanks for your message, Pat. Another uh, text from somebody who says, as a carer in the Dundalk area, the reason behind the shortage of carers is that the HSE won't employ carers. They franchise them out to companies who won't pay mileage or proper wages. If the HSE employed carers directly and cut out the middle man, uh, they would be a lot better off. Thank you indeed uh, for your message uh, to the programme. 0419832000 if you want to ring us, text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Women's aid in Dundalk have provided. These were taken between January to October 2022. It was uh, 1,489 calls to the helpline, 310 requests for refuge accommodation, 293 of which were not able to be accommodated. Um, and this is because women have to stay in accommodation, in women's aid accommodation for longer. We all know the issues uh, that exist. There were 156 online contacts, 190 women attended the WA court clinics in Dundalk, and 907 individual women who contacted Women's Aid Dundalk looking for support, 766 uh, for the very first time. So Women's Aid Dundalk say they are almost full constantly on a daily basis. We all know the issues at hand, so I suppose it's the what the government intends to do in relation to delivering where necessary, and it's everything. Right, that's uh, Sinn Féin TD for Loud Rory Murakou outlining uh, those grim statistics in uh, the Dáil earlier this week. Let's speak now to Anne Larkin, who is uh, the Director of Services with Women's Aid Dundalk. Good morning, Anne. Thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, that's a pretty, Hello, that's a, a pretty bleak picture uh, we had mapped out for us uh, there. Uh, are you really that busy? We are, Michael. And like what what Rory got access to the other day was up to October in Women's Aid Dundalk last year. Our final figures were just up slightly on that, but significantly they are. That is how busy Women's Aid Dundalk is. And I would safely say every other domestic violence service in the country. Right. I wondered if he had his figures wrong when he talked uh, about uh, the amount of people who uh, requested accommodation and uh, the amount of people you were able to accommodate. You had 310 requests, he said, uh, but 293 people had to be turned away. Yeah, and a big part of that is like our final for the year last year, we had 340 unmet requests, but we accommodated 28 women. And a big part of that, Rory, is the move on for women. Um, In the last number of years, it's really difficult for women to move on. Where do they move to out of refuge? Mm. Um, So that's, you can see, like with the increase in the housing crisis over the last number of years, women are longer in refuge if they can get into refuge. Mm. Well, uh, I suppose anybody looking uh, to set up home uh, is facing a huge challenge in this country. We all know we have a housing crisis. Uh, 
it's impossible to find anywhere. If you do, good luck to you trying to afford it. And especially if you've come from a relationship that's broken down, uh, you've probably arrived at Women's Aid in Dundalk uh, with uh, very few belongings and probably uh, your children in tow, I take it. Yeah. And I would say, you know, while that does paint a really bleak picture, it does also point out to the resilience and strength of the women who are able to make that um, step and to take that step toward a life, you know, that's free of violence and abuse. Um, yeah, women turn up with little or nothing, but the main thing is that they actually are in contact then with the service that can provide them with information and support and help them explore options that are available to them. And I have to say, Michael, you know, just when we're talking there, there's been a lot of progress made in the last year or two around supports that may not be bricks and mortar for women and children at the moment, but that will come. You know, there is a huge uh, emphasis on increasing refuge provision in this country. But there's other supports that have been put in place, like there's now an emergency domestic violence uh, rent supplement available. If women are lucky enough to find a property and need to move because of domestic violence, this is a support that's available to them. Um, so there's a huge amount of work going on, but it is, it's a slow path that we have to take. But we have to acknowledge the strength and resilience and the, you know, the fact that the women are coming forward and many of them are making, through, making it through that journey to safety. Mm. Unfortunately, we've lost, we lost a number of women last year who weren't able to get to safety. Mm. Twelve, wasn't it? Twelve women, mm. yes. Mm. Um, can I just check uh, what you said? Did you say uh, you couldn't provide uh, accommodation to 340 people who had requested it? Yes. Our final figure for 2022 was so, for 340 unmet requests. So you had 368 requests. You were able to accommodate yeah. 28 people yeah. and had to turn 304. Um, yeah. You're obviously hugely under-resourced. It's, it, there, there is that, Michael, but I would say to you, like, yeah, I'm looking at our figures. Like in, in 2019, we had 277 unmet requests. Um, in 2020, we had 356 I couldn't just put my hand on the figure for 21. Mm, mm. So, you know, we are, these these are horrendous figures. But there's a wee part where it goes back to the thing around COVID, you know, that COVID caused an explosion in domestic abuse. It has been around. The numbers have been staggering for many years. What's happening now, you know, thankfully there's a spotlight being shone on it. Mm. And in terms of resources, um, we have to take encouragement and hope from the third national strategy on domestic abuse in Ireland where there's it's called zero tolerance but there's huge provision within that strategy to really see change happen in the coming years but it's about what we can do in the meantime and so mm. much of that and um, we don't literally have buildings and property at the moment and um, we need to focus a huge amount on the other stuff that Women's Aid Dundalk and other domestic violence services do provide in terms of awareness and mm. understanding of the issue. Mm. Helping communities understand that it's not just that easy for a woman to leave. Mm. Um, and that's, helping, that's, the, that's the thing that I'm really struggling with and finding it yeah. very difficult to take in because 
Um, I don't think anybody decides to leave lightly. To decide to leave the family home with your children Mm. and seek refuge from Dundalk. God, I've never known anybody like that. Uh, And um, I I, I dread to think of anybody I know being in a situation like that. And I can only assume that the reason that they're asking women's aid for accommodation is because they're terrified. They're terrified for themselves and they're terrified for their children. And that is is a a nightmare scenario. And what happens to a woman uh, who asks Dundalk Women's Aid to help them get away, to help them to leave, to accommodate them so that they can be safe, so that their children can be safe. But if there's nowhere for, for space available for them, what do they do? Where do they go? And then multiply that by 340 in Dundalk alone. It's just very hard to take in, Anne. It is. And what happens for those women, like for women, and just to put it out there, like if a woman contacts us, we if we don't have room, we will we will ring round other refuges. Sometimes other refuges has a room, has a unit available. Um, but there's a huge part of it too, Michael, where it's difficult for women to to go from their own town or their own county to another county. I'm sure because it is. their support network is where they are, whatever yeah. support network they may have. Mm. We would also talk to the women and you know let them know what their options are in terms of protective orders from the court. We can work with the women, assist them with their application. Even the, even the knowledge and the information that women can receive from us, that they have options. There's a huge part of this, Michael, where information is so powerful for women when they're on this journey to safety. Um, I, I just, it's, it's, a, it's a whole suite of things that has to be there to help a woman on this road. Mm. Refuge is only one part of it. In some cases, it may be possible to make home safe for the woman. Right. Not always, but in some cases. Um, and as I say to you, there's, there's so much more mm. has to happen can I ask you how it's possible to make a home safe or, or is that too complicated is everybody's story so different that there's no simple answer to that there's, it's, it's, you know while the, the issue and the very nature of domestic abuse and coercive control is a very it's the same you know it's the, the desire of a man to exert control and dominance in, in the life of a woman but how that manifests it varies greatly in uh, different families. Um, one woman's story, while the result of the intimidation and the abuse may be the same, that she's facing a choice of whether to leave home or to try and stay and bring about the change that she believes is necessary. The, the pathways will vary dramatically based on the woman's circumstances. You know, it's not a straightforward, right, it's time to leave. Mm. I'm going down to the local authority. I'm going to find accommodation. Uh, I've, I, a woman, if, if there's financial control in the home, if she hasn't had access or, you know, ability to manage the money in the home, what resources has she? So, you know, for a lot of women coming to us, Michael, they're the very first steps that have to be taken. Um, a woman, she may need to get independent finance, finance in her own right. Now, she may have been entitled to this all along. She may have been working all along, but she hasn't had access to it. So 
there's so much that can be done by domestic violence services to help women and children when they have come to that place where they realise they have to leave. That can help them, but it's not an overnight step. Mm. If they request accommodation and we don't have it, yeah. it's not to say that we can't help them. Mm. But you're, you're a journey. But but you don't even have the ability to prioritise people because if the inn is full, the inn is full, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it is that bit more difficult. Um, we, we've, because of COVID, we've had to reconfigure our service, so we're not as able to um, support women on site as we used to be. Um, but well, you know, the day will come, and another. We're hoping our development will be uh, completed in 2025. And we will be able to increase our capacity then, as will many uh, counties in Ireland. Mm. But no, we can't prioritise. But the way we'd look at it is, you know, it's basically if there's a room there, whoever needs it will get it. Okay. Well, a a lot of people come to you for help. Um, They're in a home that uh, somebody is acting violently. um, Yeah. Uh, in one way or another and domestic violence takes many forms uh, but they're not necessarily uh, looking to leave or or to um, find refuge with women's aid uh, as we heard uh, Rory Murku say there are around 900 up to the end of October I take it that's around a, a thousand people contacted you uh, over the course of the year uh, and you had 368 requests for uh, accommodation so yeah. Uh, I suppose it's at the different stages as well and I think it's true to say that there's a greater awareness uh, that you don't have to be treated this way, you don't have to put up with it and that there is help at hand. A hundred percent, Michael. And when it's city is, as I say to you, like the end result for 2022 for us was we had 1,057 women, individual women made contact with us. Of that number, 895 were new women. So that was 895 women who made contact with us for the first time last year. Um, 162 were repeat contacts. Some women may be in touch with us for 10, 15 years because the nature of domestic abuse is it's a continual pattern of behaviour perpetrated by a man against a woman. So it's not going to go away in a short space of time. So it's just significant the number of new contacts we're having, um, which shows that more women are reaching out. Mm. And well Um, done to each one of those women who made the decision to change their lives, to uh, move their lives in a a different uh, direction, a better direction for themselves and for their children. Uh, And it starts with a phone call, Anne. It does. It does. And... You know, a lot can be achieved by that initial phone call, Michael. That, you know, initial phone call, once the woman is able even to ring the number. Like I would say, there's there's women out there who may not be ready yet to actually even put into words what her experience is. We would have women ring and it may be a silent call where the woman isn't able to articulate what she needs to say. Mm. But she picks it up, she hears someone answers the phone. And we will say to them, take your time. And she might not speak that time. It may be the next time that she lifts the phone, she'll talk to us. But there's so much to be said for making that initial contact. You know, there is help and support there. You know, every woman will be answered by someone who knows the issue and understands 
what the woman will say. Mm. Um, I won't doubt the woman. Mm. And if there's a woman listening to us uh, this morning who feels that she could do with help, she should understand that she's in a situation that is not normal uh, and that she should not be treated that way and that she's entitled to help and that there is help there. Uh, your telephone number, Anne, uh, Dundalk, obviously, 042 9333 Yeah. Okay. And that there is a way out. There is hope. Mm. Okay. Thank you very much, Anne, for okay. joining Michael, us. Michael, thanks very much for the opportunity. Oh, I'm really taken aback uh, by the statistics because statistics are, are one thing. Behind those numbers are real people. It's and a that's woman. A, that's an awful lot of people that you've been yes. working with uh, to improve their lives. Uh, I, I think people will be very grateful that you're there to do that. And thanks for that. And thanks for joining us uh, this morning, as I say. Um, Dundalk Women's Aid can be reached on 0429333244. That's 0429333244. Anne Larkin is the Director of Services with Women's Aid Dundalk. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, thanks uh, to James in Drada texting us uh, this morning, wondering why the job for the Late Late Show on RTE wasn't advertised. Uh, is uh, that uh, what state bodies do, he wonders? Uh, thanks uh, indeed, uh, James, for that. Uh, I'm not sure what the Late Late Show even is at this stage, uh, but uh, apparently it costs a lot of money and entertains uh, a lot of people, uh, apparently. Um, but um, there is to be a, a new host. Uh, thanks, uh, as I say, for that, James. Somebody else uh, WhatsApping is saying, I have a brother who has a drink and substance problem. He's over 60. My wife applied for carers for him because he can't cook or do anything for himself. But because he's not on medication, he's not entitled to get carers. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, I'm just not sure what to say about it. Um, I'm sure people need care for all sorts of reasons. And uh, I I think uh, you make the point very well. And thank you indeed uh, for your WhatsApp message to us today. Now, as you know, um, this forum on security is underway. Uh, It's already been um, pretty um, eventful with uh, the Taunish Jimmy Hall Martin having his speech interrupted this morning by protesters but that's because there's a a lot of concern that uh, the government is taking the first of however many steps is necessary for Ireland to drop its neutral stance and to join NATO or whatever the next step may be after that. Uh, We heard earlier on from People Before Profit about uh, those concerns, but it's not just People Before Profit who are concerned. Tonight you want to raise the Consultative Forum on International Security Policy, Taoiseach, and I do welcome the statement of the Taunish Day issue just now, confirming that the government does not intend to change Ireland's policy of military neutrality. I think it's important the Taunish to make that clear. I welcome that. But I I do want to know, will the debate in recent days over the uh, balance of participants in the forum, will that lead the government to reconsider and ensure a more balanced par- level of participation, in particular representatives from Malta and Austria, the only two other militarily neutral states in the EU? And Taoiseach, crucially, will the Dáil have a chance to debate and scrutinise the report when it is produced, rather than it just going to government? And my colleague Deputy Howland has already raised this point. Business, it's important you. we have Thank an opportunity you, to do that. The Labour leader, Vanna Bach, but I don't think that had any influence on who has been lined up to speak. I also want to raise this. There's huge concern about the discussion and the debate that the government is opening up in relation to neutrality. It simply doesn't stack up 
for the government to say that it is now suddenly after decades of lack of investment in our security and defence and in paying conditions for our defence forces. It doesn't stack up that the government suddenly says, oh, we're now interested in our security and defence. Clearly, there's issues in terms of the panel and the composition, so will the government address those to ensure there's balance on this? And I do think we need to have a discussion of this in, in this doyle as uh, so there's full input from everyone across the House. And that's Keena O'Callaghan of uh, the Social Democrats. Uh, there is uh, concern uh, across uh, the board, but certainly not within uh, the government parties, uh, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and indeed the Green Party, saying that this is a discussion that we need to have now because the world has changed and we need to look at uh, the security measures that are in place in terms of uh, protecting the country. We'll be hearing much more about this over the coming days, but that's all we have time for today. Our time has run out on us once again. Thanks to Maggie McGuire who researched and Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning, 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie 